Don't you ever take for granted the privilege of getting to go to church. That's under attack. There is a reproach that comes with being a follower of Christ. We in America have tried to reshape the whole church so that it's palatable and likable in the culture. A church that is accepted well with the culture is usually not accepted well with Christ. The church is a fortress, and a fortress is strength. A fortress is might. Not only a center of defense, but a place of strategic planning and offense. Our God does not expect us to wait for the darkness to enclose around us. He expects us to take up His banner and fight the darkness with His light. You want to know what the biggest problem with America is? The wolf is this country. Gave in. Gave in to public pressure. Gave in to political correctness. One of the greatest curses this country has ever had to deal with is political correctness. Preparing the Christian to shine the light against the darkness of this world. Welcome to Our Mighty Fortress Podcast. I'm your host, Ron Miller, and welcome to the show. We have an interesting subject to cover today. But first, please go ahead and hit that follow or subscribe button on the podcast platform in which you're listening to us upon. Yes, hit that subscribe button, please. Hit the button. Thank you very much. We have several social media platforms with all sorts of material that you can listen to us and also take a look and read. So much material. Uh, check us out on our fan page on Facebook when you type in at Our Mighty Fortress. Our page is growing more and more every day there. You can also take a look at our website, OurMightyFortress.com. That's where our media is at, the articles and videos, and even a link to our merch store to help support the work. If you do feel so motivated to donate to the work that we do here, feel free to do so through our website and the established associated PayPal link. If we've helped you in some way through our work, I'd love to hear about it. Maybe get a chance to read it sometime. Uh, please tell us at OurMightyFortress at gmail.com. By following and supporting the podcast, you let me know that you care about the subjects that we discuss. Today, I would like to talk about what is called The Hero's Journey by Joseph Campbell. We are going to be analyzing some of Campbell's writings and just his patterns in his ideology and his mythologies and their evolution and, and how he got to be writing about this particular topic and really what makes him special in all of this. We're going to start with Campbell's earlier work that really made him famous. This is called The Hero with a Thousand Faces. And this is going to lay a groundwork for looking into the historical narrative problems that he presents. Campbell was an American mythological researcher and claimed to have found many common patterns through hero myths and stories from around the world. Campbell thought that he discovered several stages that most hero quests go through in what he called his monomyth. This work influenced a lot of story writing in the late 1900s and early 2000s. This is why we're doing this podcast. You're going to hear this again, just not with his name, but you're going to hear another author or whatever who references this work. You know, when you read a comic book or... a or watch a movie about some hero, there is often a very Campbell-like pattern that can be seen. 
It can vary from time to time, but the direction the story takes is often very predictable if you have a keen eye. That's because it follows Campbell's pattern. There are many in Hollywood who mirror, in some fashion, the works of Campbell. For instance, one of the first ones to do this that became very, very famous was with the epic Star Wars collection. George Lucas was a huge fan of Campbell, and he mirrored his philosophy. Campbell's ideology would lead to a host of problems when he tried to apply these type of concepts to the study of religion. The reason why analyzing such is important is that there are still many arguments given today that all religions are the same and have the same phases of evolution in their beliefs. You hear it all the time by unbelievers or people that mock God. Campbell was one of the many men who made this claim in the late 1800s all the way to the early 1900s, but his work was the most aggrandized. His work made it into many films and classrooms as popular rebuttals to Christian thought. I'm going to do my best to try to walk you through this and how it progressed over time. I'm going to use this podcast as a base uh, foundation to really reference back to in the future because it's important to understand the difference between our almighty God and the little G gods. You know, sometimes when we hear certain subjects like this from speakers or even uh, college professors, you know, college kids will go to a secular university and they'll have to take an intro to philosophy class and you better believe they're going to talk about religions. Well, guess what? There are going to be many who are going to reference Campbell's philosophy. Well, shedding light in these areas will sure clear up any confusion and it will show the errors of those who teach Campbell-like mythologies. While this is not going to be extensive, I hope it will be very thought-provoking. I hope to ultimately show you that the God of the Bible is very unique and that the scriptures can be trusted. This will hopefully change what some of you might have been taught about religious history. With that introduction, let's get right into this. The American professor Joseph Campbell, in his book, The Hero with a Thousand Faces, wrote about a certain order of events that he observed in heroic narratives. In this, he lists 17 different stages of what is called the monomyth. A monomyth is simply a cyclical journey or quest undertaken by a mythical hero. All 17 stages in the story can be broken down into three categories called the departure, initiation, and the return. To make the understanding of these categories a little bit easier, Try to think of your own favorite storyline and see if it follows this order. There are some variations to this ordering, but let's see if that particular story fits this narrative. In the departure category, the future hero begins with his call to adventure. This hero is going to be called to something greater, or maybe even include rescuing somebody. Then there is the refusal of the call. The hero will try to reject, reject this call and maybe try to stay uh, something that he perceives as his ordinary life. The next stage that the hero is going to get is some sort of supernatural aid. This can also be in the form of, say, great wisdom or a talisman or a weapon to help the hero fulfill the mission that he has been given. Step four is the crossing of the first threshold. 
the pushing forward officially on this adventure. The hero is leaving his known limits and pursuing into the world of the unknown. The last stage of the departure is what Campbell calls the belly of the whale, which I think his choice of words here are going to kind of give away his presuppositions. We'll get to that later. He states that this represents the final separation from what the hero uh, knows as his own world and himself. The hero steps forward to undergo the changes he needs to go through and can involve some minor danger or setback. As the hero progresses in the story, the next category is the initiation. The first stage of the hero is going to go through in what Campbell calls the Road of Trials. This would be a series of tasks that the hero is going to go through in a particular order to progress towards the goal. Campbell states that, quote, This is a favorite phase of the myth adventure. It has produced a world of literature of miraculous tests and ordeals, end quote. The next stage is called the meeting with the goddess. This is where the hero gains items or wisdom of some, maybe some sort of help from a divine being to help him uh, in the near future. There's going to be what Campbell calls the woman as the temp temptress. The hero is going to face temptations that can involve something physical or pleasurable in nature. Campbell believes that a woman is a metaphor for the physical or material temptations of life since the hero is often tempted by lust from his spiritual journey. The hero will then meet with some ultimate power or divine father figure that has the power of life or death over the hero. This is considered the central point of the journey. Campbell states that, quote, the problem of the hero going to meet the father is open is to open his soul beyond terror to such a degree that he will be ripe to understand how the sickening and insane tragedies of this vast and ruthless cosmos are completely validated in the majesty of being. The hero transcends life with its peculiar blind spot and for a moment rises to the glimpse of the source. He beholds the face of the father, understands, and then the two are atoned, end quote. The next stage of the hero's journey is the highest point, or the apotheosis. This is the point in which the hero's adventure, uh, or greater knowledge even, is achieved. This part of the journey is the realization of the knowledge that he had previously gained, and he uses it for the most important part of the journey. That is called the ultimate boon, which is the next stage. This is going to be the achievement of the quest that he set out upon. The hero is going to be purified and different from when he originally left. The final category is what's called the return. And the first stage of it is the refusal of his return. Having achieved success in his adventure, the hero might not want to return to his ordinary world and his ordinary lifestyle. He's achieved something greater. He doesn't want to go back to the old anymore. After this decision is made to return, there is a magical flight of some kind. This can be a blessing of the hero's triumph or a curse by the gods, little g gods. Uh, the trek home can be sometimes just as dangerous as the beginning. This leads to the next stage, which is the rescue from without. Campbell states that sometimes... The hero may need to have a guide to return, especially if he was wounded or impaired 
from his uh, original journey out. He states in The Hero with a Thousand Faces that, quote, the returning hero to complete his adventure must survive the impact of the world, end quote. This is the crossing of the return threshold. The hero must not forget the lessons and the wisdom that he had learned and bring it back to his original world. Then he can be in the next stage, which is the master of the two worlds. This is achieving balance between what he had previously knew compared to what he now knows. Friedrich Nietzsche made an interesting observation about this master of two worlds idea. He said, quote, he who fights monsters should see to it that he himself does not become a monster. And if you gaze for a long time into the abyss, the abyss gazes into you, end quote. Meaning that sometimes the hero can ultimately become the villain. It's a very interesting concept. We see that in even some of our more modern storylines. In the final step, the hero can have the freedom to live with his mastery of the two worlds and he has no longer to fear death and he can have peace in his life until he dies. Now we move through those 17 aspects pretty quickly, but that's the general summary of what Campbell is trying to say and how many hero myths are ordered. Did you find that your favorite storyline followed this order? How many of the 17 do you think it followed? As I stated previously, there have been many films and books that have been written and made that follow this example, though not all ancient works do the same. This heroic storyline analyzation really gained popularity for Campbell, and it fueled him in his overgeneralizations of other categories. This initial assessment of heroic stories could have been taken at face value and thought of lightly, but Campbell went on to write more of what he called the mask of the god creative mythology. He took further steps into classifying religions into simplistic categories and built a narrative that was anything but the truth. He laid the evolution of myths in what he, he called four categories. First, that myths and religions started in the way of the animal powers. This was basically saying that everything was animistic and nature was infused with a spirit or a divine presence. The next category of religion was the way of the seeded earth. Campbell attributed uh, this to the agrarian societies. He states that this is where the agricultural god rose uh, based upon the seasons. This is where he introduces the ever-dying and ever-rising son uh, of the earth goddess. Of course, he's foreshadowing his attack on Christianity, but we'll deal with that generalization uh, later. Campbell's next category was the way of the Celestialites. This was attributed the first high civilizations of Mesopotamia and Babylonia. This was the idea that life on Earth was just mere cosmic play by the gods. Campbell classified the biblical teachings in this particular category. He believed that Eve and the snake that tempted her were once fertility gods worshipped in their own right with the tree of knowledge being the tree of life 
He also found what he saw as a transition in religious periods in the biblical story of Cain and Abel, and with Cain being a farmer whose agrarian offering was not accepted by God, while the animal herder Abel's sacrifice was. He also attributed the Christian mysteries of the bread and wine of Christ to the symbols of Dionysus, or the earlier mysteries of Eleusis. I'll eventually do a podcast on the mysteries of Eleusis. Stay tuned for that one. That one is a serious mind bender. Has nothing to do with Christianity, by the way. Campbell made a serious blunder here in not understanding the biblical narrative and story. This was not at all what the ancient Jews nor the ancient Christians understood these scriptures to mean. And this was a common error of Campbell in much of his historical assessments. To understand how he categorized these myths, you have to understand where he drew his ideology. This type of error derived from those who followed the ideology of the history of religion school. And the purpose was to try and link all religions together as just being rehashed nonsense. They are not honest in how they use the texts of the various religions, and they loosely link them together to make it authoritative. It's the perfect description of what the Bible talks about in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 3. It says, quote, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, end quote. What was it talking about? That people can come along with nonsense and people are going to be persuaded by this stupidity. I mean, the scholarship is so bad in this group and it's so blatant that they just made this stuff up. Yet, there are so many who just regurgitate this nonsense all the way back from the late 1800s. It's, you can still hear it today. Ironically enough, Campbell was heavily influenced by the Swiss psychologist Carl Jung whose theory of collective unconsciousness involved archetypes. Interestingly enough, Jung was a favorite psychologist of the uh, recent, more recently popular speaker, Jordan Peterson. Jung's archetypes can involve reoccurring images, patterns, and ideas from dreams and myths across the various cultures. So they would have some sort of dream or vision or some type of image, and he would try to extract something else from that, some type of pattern or whatever. Because of this influence, there have been several aspects of Campbell's assessments that have been called into question. As archaeology gets better and better, more and more excavations are taking place, and we find out more and more about the historical narratives that changed the way we viewed previous uh, civilizations. Once upon a time, the Hittite Empire and the peoples mentioned in the Bible uh, by Hittite, uh, they were thought to have never existed until somebody went out and discovered the Hittite Empire and the capital city of Hattusa. Campbell's assessment had been criticized because he simplified the stories too much to fit these categories. American folklorist Bar Token notes that, quote, Few psychologists have taken the time to become familiar with the complexities of folklore and that, historically, Jung influenced psychologists and authors 
have tended to build complex theories around single versions of a tale that support the theory or proposal, end quote. What is he talking about? He says basically these these particular authors that are influenced by this psychologist are cherry picking different things to make th make the story or image say what it does not say. Another folklorist named Alan uh, Dundes was highly critical of Campbell's approach to folklore to fit his narratives. He states, quote, folklorists have had some success in publicizing the results of our efforts in the past two centuries, such that members of other disciplines have, after a minimum of reading, they believe they are qualified to speak authoritatively of folkloristic matters. It seems that the world is full of self-proclaimed experts in folklore, and a few, such as Campbell, have been accepted as by the general public and public television, in the case of Campbell, according to Dundes, there was no single idea promulgated by amateurs that have done more harm to serious folklore study than the notion of archetype, end quote. Now, that's a serious slam against uh, Campbell's ideology, and he's got a point. This sentiment towards this ideology grew over time, but it wasn't before it became a major talking point of many critics of religion, particularly against Christianity. You got to keep this in mind that in the late 1800s and early 1900s, there was a major attack against Christianity. Early 1800s were extremely active with many things taking place with the German rationalism uh, that came out of the, the, hist the religious schools of Germany. You have the rise of uh, the theory of evolution during this time. Uh, there were a lot of things that were taking place in the mid-1800s that really came out against Christianity. Now, I'm not just going to advocate for any religion. I'm, I'm talking about the validity of Christianity. We have to figure out if there's something to the statements made about religions being built off one another and whether that's true. If it is true then there are really only two choices, if they're all false or if they're a part of one general deity. I would advocate that the, the latter is not reasonable, given that they're all distinctly different from one another. You can't say all the religions are the same when you read the religious writings and they go well out of their way to make themselves distinctly different somehow, um, even though they'll have overlapping patterns. There's only one religion that steps out from amongst all others, and that's Christianity. That's a topic for another time, maybe the next podcast. When we analyze what makes religions different, we do see a lot of similarities, sure, but it doesn't mean that they're the same thing in the scope of their beliefs. What makes this study so fascinating is that, like I said, one steps out from amongst all of them. First, I'd like to start with Jesus Christ and compare his grand story to Campbell's heroic narrative. First, we have to understand that Jesus is not the typical hero we watch in the movies. He's not a Thor, or a Batman, or even an Iron Man. He is God himself that came down in the flesh. And that really makes many of the aspects of the hero's journey not even applicable. The very beginning of the hero's story would have him in some 
ordinary and mundane life, but this is not even close to the case with Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus did wait until he was at least 30 years old before he could start his ministry, because before that, he wouldn't be able to teach in the synagogues. There's a rhyme and reason to everything that God does. There's a reason why he waited to the age of 30, because he couldn't preach and teach in the temple. He couldn't stand up in the synagogue and lawfully, via the Jewish law, teach. And remember, in the book of uh, Numbers, chapter 4, verses 3, it says, quote, From 30 years old and upward, even until 50 years old, all that enter the host to do the work in the tabernacle of the congregation. So, end quote, what that's talking about is that you have to be at least between 30 and 50 years old to do the work inside the tabernacle of the congregation. For Jesus to be the unblemished lamb for mankind's sins, he had to follow every aspect of God's law to the letter, which means he had to wait till the age of 30. So that's the reason why. There were so many mythologies written after the New Testament was completed, particularly by the Gnostics, and they try to account for the first 30 years of Jesus' life with various stories. You know, you've got books written around 200 AD. You've got the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Barnabas. Well, those are not actually written by those guys. They are demonstrated and historically proven to be written by the group known as the Gnostics. And that's demonstrably proven. The History Channel still <laughs> peddles these lies for views, even though they know the truth of the matter. It's like you go to the History Channel, you're going to watch Agent Aliens, you know, guy with the crazy hair, you know, you know what I'm talking about. It's absolutely insane because they're trying to get more, more viewership on the channel. Anyways, the incarnation of Christ is another one that's completely contrast to the beginning of the hero's journey. In fact, this itself is quite unique when compared among religions. Christ enters our natural world as a human being and the fabulous forces he fights are not mythical beasts or dragons. Rather, he came into this world to fight against the sinful nature of man and the, and the forgiveness of man's sins. There are many myths that entail a hero who undergoes some sort of trial that helps him achieve some sort of enlightenment, but Christ having the knowledge from the beginning is a stark difference. I mean, think about even more modern religions, even in the story of uh, Buddha, the Buddha or his real name is Siddhartha Gautama. He achieves his enlightenment through his own quest. Well, Jesus already had eternal life, living in perfect harmony in the environment of the heaven of heavens with God. He came down to earth to be the propitiation for our sins or the payment for our sins. Campbell would then say that the hero is going to achieve some sort of boon which is something that's helpful to the people around him. In a sense, you could say that this applies to what Christ achieves and his decisive victory over sin and death. This took place in his uh, death on the cross, his burial, and then his resurrection on the third day. If you think about it, the boon that he gave us was ultimately his loss. The book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. End quote. 
the boon was that we could have eternal life if we but trust him and what he's already done for us. Ultimately, the story of Christ may identify with certain aspects of the hero's journey, but not the narrative as a whole, not even close. Campbell reads pantheism into much of the myths and has commented that even opposites are one and the same. For example, he'll equate the yin and yang, compassion, the god, goddess, the enemy, uh, the friend, and death, or time, and nirvana as being the same. Christian scripture and its theology teach that good and evil are very distinct from one another. God is purely good and does not need evil to exist. Evil will be eliminated in the end. The book of Revelation tells us that. Another massive problem for the narrative that Christianity is like many other religions is that the Bible was written by over 40 authors. Not only this, but the entire book was written over a period of about 1,500 years. That's statistically impossible to have such a consistent story over that amount of time. Not to mention all the manuscripts and things like that to show that the story hasn't changed. The biggest problem with Christianity being just a rehashed religion is that there's no way you could get a coherent and historical story over that large period of time. You don't have other religions mimicking Christianity. That's a bold-faced lie. Books change over time, especially with those who are writing them. Yet, the Bible tells a specific narrative over a great amount of time. There used to be massive arguments against this idea, but more and more manuscript evidence that's found that ranges in the thousands uh, only solidifies the fact that the story has not been largely changed. This also goes for the story of Christ and the New Testament. The New Testament alone has over 5,500 manuscripts dating all the way back to approximately the second century, which is not that far from removed from when they were written. The influence of Campbell, as well as others, had shaped the narrative of religion in general that just was not factual by any stretch of the imagination. This ideology would drive the generalization that was made in the early 2000s by the popular film Zeitgeist. Now, I remember when I was a new Christian or a newer Christian, I was still in the Marine Corps and I had another uh, Marine acquaintance of mine that was an atheist. He told me that I really need to watch this documentary Zeitgeist. And it would keep me from being a Christian anymore. I was like, oh, really? Right. OK, I'm going to watch this thing. What's it got to say? Well, being a bit of a history nerd, especially in ancient history, uh, I caught the errors right away in the logic that was used in Zeitgeist. This error continues to live on the ideology of the coexist logo and the stickers you, you see on all the bumpers of the cars. The idea that all the religions are the same and they're just rehashed uh, with the same stories over and over and over again. That was the thrust of the zeitgeist, uh, uh, <laughs> I say documentary, but that was very loosely used. I will say that I find it very interesting that there is a push to have a unified one world religion. Well, you know what? The Bible does talk about that, and that's going to be the religion of the Antichrist. I don't think that's a coincidence, by the way. It's important to see the patterns as they're going to help you determine truth. 
So much of what's written about Christianity is by people who do not know nor understand what the scriptures actually say. It's very easy just to pick out a few lines and make them say almost anything you want them to say. But if you read them in context, a fuller meaning emerges. It still amazes me that the gross generalization of religion in general, though thoroughly disproved, still lives on today in many types of media. It goes to show that the hate for God is still very, very real. And man, like always, is trying to fashion a little G God in his own image. From the very beginning, it was like this. In conclusion, I know that this is a lot of information, but I hope I was able to shed some light as to how this ideology came about and some of the falsehoods that's associated with it. If you're a Christian, the goal is to strengthen your faith, to show you that, hey, you can trust and believe that the one true and living God is really who he says that he is. That's truly amazing. If you're a Christian, the goal is to strengthen your faith. If you aren't a Christian, then I hope that you'll consider the hope that's being offered to you through the gospel and that God really is real. He is your hope. We will all stand before God one day and he'll either be your savior or he's going to be your judge. The choice is yours. Make it wisely. I want to thank you for listening and be sure to follow us on the podcast media. Please take a look at our website, ourmightyfortress.com and subscribe for more updates. Stay tuned next time for more great content and remember to find your refuge and strength in our mighty fortress.